Today, we continue our discussion with Karnit Flug, former governor of the Bank of Israel and vice president of research at the Israel Democracy Institute and a professor at the Hebrew University. Our previous podcast focused on Professor Flug's concerns as to how the judicial reform legislation in Israel may impact the economy. If you haven't listened to it yet, I urge you to do so. It is packed with insight from one of Israel's top economists. In this shorter second episode, Professor Flug gets into the empirical data. It's early days yet, but she talks about trends that we are seeing in stock markets, investment levels, and the reaction of the financial sector's beating heart, Wall Street, to what is going on in Israel. Professor Flug and I had this follow-up conversation on August 6th, almost two weeks after the first bill in Prime Minister Netanyahu's much-vaunted judicial reform initiative had passed in the Knesset. I'm Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel, and now a true Tel Avivian, living in the state of Tel Aviv. Stay with us. Following the passage of the Reasonableness Bill, as unsettled as things had been in Israel, they suddenly got that much worse. I was keen to check in with Professor Flug to hear her thoughts on the dramatic turn of events, and was fortunate to connect with her just before her summer holiday. Professor Flug's before and after insights are truly historical. To have such a prominent and respected intellectual, who has also worked in the policy trenches at the highest levels, domestically and globally, reflect with us on this critical moment in the state of modern Israel is a true privilege. We are grateful to Professor Flug for her commitment and candor. All right, let's do this. Karnit Flug, thank you so much for joining State of Tel Aviv. It's August 6th, just over two weeks since we last spoke. Yeah, a lot has happened since. A lot of water under the bridge. And so I really appreciate you taking this time to speak with us and catch up on the very dramatic developments. We spoke, it was just a few days before, in the week before the reasonableness law was passed in the Knesset. And of course, as we now know, it was passed on the 24th. And we seen some particularly dramatic developments since then, but I want to focus with you on the economic developments. Yeah. So regarding the impact, actually, there was some response of the markets immediately on the evening in which the law was passed. There was some 2 or 3% additional weakening of the shekel and some yet further decline in the value of stocks. But since then, We've just seen a lot of fluctuations. I think it would make sense to actually look at somewhat a longer period of time. And actually, we can look since the beginning of the year, which is when the reform was first announced, what happened to the main indicators of the market. And actually, we can look at the weakening of the shekel vis-a-vis the pattern of its behavior before the intention to legislate was announced, and it weakened by some 10%. That's the assessment, or this is the uh, what the Bank of Israel assessed. You can look at what happened to the uh, stock market, and you can see that actually they went together with the S&P 500, 
until the end of last year, until the end of 2022. And since then, we've seen a divergence and actually a much inferior behavior of our main indices compared to the S&P 500. It's a difference of some 20% or so. So there is quite a substantial loss of value of financial assets of Israeli investors. And then I think the most worrisome for the longer term is what we've seen in the investment in the high-tech sector. We've seen a drop everywhere because it has not been a good period for high-tech sectors all over, but the decline here was much more pronounced. And we start seeing some recovery in some other places, but not here, not in Israel. And that's actually the most worrisome because, as you know, high-tech sector is an extremely important sector in Israel. It accounts for more than 50% of our exports. It accounted in 2022 for 18% of our GDP. It accounts for 12% of employment. It's an extremely important sector. And if it will start declining, that's very bad news for the economy and for tax receipts and for, for everything. When you say that investment in high tech in other jurisdictions has started to pick up and accelerate again, but we're not seeing the same pickup in Israel, can you quantify the disparity? Well, I can't tell you now the exact numbers. I can right. say that I can tell you how much the drop was in Israel. And if you look at the 2021, we had about 25 billion, 26 billion investment in our high-tech sector. In 2022, it was about 16. And in the first half of 2023, it's 3.7 billion. So it's a huge drop. And what I know is that it's much more pronounced than elsewhere. So I think that's very worrisome. And maybe another factor is the fact that if before the announcements of the intention to legislate this reform, most companies, most startups would list themselves here. Now, almost all of them list themselves overseas, mostly in the U.S. So it means that actually some of the activity and the IP will go elsewhere. And, you know, our entrepreneurs are very brilliant. Technologists are courted by other countries and they're very mobile. They can live in no time. And we hear more and more about relocation. So I think that really is a very uh, important development, very, very worrisome development to the future of the Israeli economy. Yes, there's been a lot of talk about companies that are listing overseas, even new startups just incorporating and starting their life overseas and other jurisdictions. We've both been hearing in the news and on the streets and no doubt among friends and family in recent weeks, a hugely significant uptick in talk about relocation. And as an economist looking at human capital leaving especially leaving Israel and going elsewhere. It's a very significant undertaking. Is that a concern? Are you hearing oh, that? It certainly is a concern. Investment in human capital is a huge investment. 
And we're talking, by the way, not only uh, about people in the startup companies and in technology companies, but we're talking, for example, about doctors that are now, there are these large WhatsApp groups that discuss relocation. And we have a shortage of doctors. Actually, it's a factor that has been discussed recently, how to deal with the shortage of doctors because our medical schools are relatively small. Most of our doctors are trained overseas. And actually, we have a very, very large portion of doctors that are over 55. And they will retire in the next few years. Actually, many of them came from the former Soviet Union, trained over there. And as it was even before this issue of relocation started, there was a discussion about the potential deterioration in the quality of our medical services. By the way, they're still very, very good, but they will deteriorate because of shortage of doctors. And if we see senior doctors, very well-trained, qualified, moving elsewhere, and again, they're courted by many other countries, that's another blow this time to our basic medical services. So it has economic impact. It will have an impact on the quality of our lives. Yeah, so it's definitely worrisome. The issue of brain drain is something that we will not see the immediate effect, but it can have a terrible detrimental effect in the longer run on the potential growth of Israel, the potential prosperity, the quality of our public services and so on. Yeah. Another area, by the way, where, mm. where the brain drain may be very damaging is the academia, the Israeli academia. We right. have, you know, very strong ties with the academia in the U.S., for example. A lot of people go for uh, their sabbatical or to do postdoc and so on. And when they will have to consider coming back, if, again, if this judicial overall goes through, for many liberal, young, brilliant academics, Israel may be less attractive. And we actually have been hearing, it's still anecdotal information about people who actually turned down offers to get back to our academic institutions. And, you know, the quality of our universities are a very important element behind being an innovation-based economy. I hope you'll be tracking that development. And I would love to reconvene with you in a few months to see, six to eight months, if we can start to actually see how that's shaping up. And hopefully it will be better than we might expect at the, at the moment. I, I, I sure wanna, hope so. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. me too. I want to turn just before we finish to the institutional reaction to the passing of the reasonableness law. There was very strong institutional reaction. The New York financial markets, they were prepared to, to accept Netanyahu's assurances that he was going to build consensus. He was not going to do anything radical and we would not see significant shifts. There was nothing to worry about. Now the reaction is very different. How do you see that? Well, uh, there are two issues. First of all, Israel has relatively had a high or relatively high uh, rating 
And Moody's actually is the one that had Israel on a positive outlook. And what they did a few months ago when the reform was uh, being discussed was that they downgraded the outlook to neutral. Now, that means basically that you know, things were really looking up before that in terms of our debt to GDP ratio, in terms of our public deficit. And they always mentioned the strengths of our institutions. And the main issue that caused this to be changed from a positive to neutral outlook had to do with the risk of actually uh, moving to this negative scenario of weakening the checks and balances, weakening the judiciary oversight over the executive branch. In their comments after the legislation of the reasonableness was passed, they said that actually the risk of this negative scenario to materialize have increased substantially. And they mentioned that if it goes on, that can have very detrimental effect. But beyond looking at the institutions and the fiscal outlook and so on, I think there is an issue of trust. And as was reported, they were told by Israeli officials that the laws will not be advanced without reaching a consensus or reaching broad agreement. And I think that if trust is really damaged or lost, that's something that is hard to reestablish. And that, I think, is very worrisome. We haven't actually seen yet downgrades. We have seen comments, and we've seen also previously comments that raise concern about the potential effect of this legislation, the social divisions. Yeah. So there are a lot of worrisome developments and they're watching closely. Now, what does it mean? It means that there is already some increase in our risk premium. That means that the government pays more for financing its debt. So far, there was no downgrade, but there could be if this process goes on. Are you concerned with what is going on in Israel? This is not just another crisis. This moment in history is considered by many to be the most critical and existential in Israel's 75-year history. State of Tel Aviv is committed to delivering superb and candid analysis, and we're offering a limited-time subscription special, a 33% discount from the regular fee of $90 annually, one year for only $60. Stay informed and stay connected with State of Tel Aviv. We are a reader-supported enterprise. If you value our work, please subscribe. It makes a huge difference. Stateoftelaviv.com, all one word. Now, back to the podcast. When we last spoke, Professor Flug, I asked you if you had five minutes with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, what you would say to him. And you reacted very quickly and you responded, just stop, just stop and reflect and build consensus. What would your advice be today? Well, I still think that, uh, first of all, there needs to be not only stopping or halting the legislation, but also a very strong statement saying that 
there will not be any further legislation without broad consensus. I think there might even be a need in order to restore confidence and trust, move towards actually reversing the legislation that has already taken place and reaching an agreement that will revise actually the law in a way that will reflect broad agreement. So I think that those are the kind of steps that need to be taken and also some steps to try and heal this very deep divisions in the Israeli society. Do you think that there's any likelihood that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu would walk it back at all, the legislation, as you just suggested? I don't know. I, I just can hope for it. Well, I will hope along with you. Professor Karnit Flew, thank you so much for your insights, as always. Much appreciated. You're welcome. One day after the reasonableness law was passed by the Knesset, the response from Wall Street was unequivocal. Various news agencies reported that the CEO of Moody's was furious, saying that Netanyahu had lied when he assured him any judicial reform would be the outcome of a broad national consensus. As Professor Fluke quite rightly notes in her comments in this episode, any loss of trust in such important relationships is very difficult to restore. Prime Minister Netanyahu and Betzalel Smotrich, his Minister of Finance, seemed nonplussed by it all, describing the hubbub as a momentary blip. What they do not seem to understand is that their credibility is rock bottom. A number of important Wall Street institutions have been very clear in stating that Israel is on thin ice. And what Professor Flug says about large numbers of physicians and tech entrepreneurs and engineers making very serious inquiries about relocation, that's real, very real. I personally know of individuals who have already left Israel or are engaged in serious preparation and planning so that they may do so on short notice. We'll have more on that development, the flight of human capital, in an upcoming written piece about the economy and real on-the-ground effects of the judicial reform. In the meantime, stay safe, stay cool, and enjoy the summer weekend wherever you are. Thanks for listening and for your support. 